Most churches that I'm familiar with are not committed to evangelism. They are committed to the few people that are gifted in evangelism, but they are not committed personally to evangelism. And, and, and really, if you got people to be very honest with you about their Christian faith and about life, most people would have a hard time letting the words leave their lips and hearing themselves say it. I have a family member, I have a friend, I have a schoolmate, I have a work associate, I have a neighbor that if they don't come to Christ will spend eternity in a place called hell separated from God. Now while we know it up here, we don't acknowledge it in the way we live because we are not doing much to change that as a whole in America. America is more lost today than it was last year. It's more lost than it's ever been because the church has stayed in clustered groups. There are two things that are reason for that, I believe. One is a lack of prayer in our churches and a lack of evangelism. Because prayer leads us to love God, grow together, serve others, and change the world. We cannot be a praying people. I cannot be a truly praying believer and not be concerned about the lostness of the world in which we live. Something has to change in the way that I respond to it. Now, now think about this. In the New Testament, there were no discipleship classes. There was no discipleship material. They didn't have a Lifeway bookstore that just closed. There were no evangelism classes. They got a one-sentence command from Jesus. The Spirit of God came on them, and they went out and did what Jesus told them to do. Nobody in the New Testament, nobody in the first century church that saw thousands at a time come to faith in God, nobody ever said, I don't feel equipped. I don't know enough. They didn't have a New Testament. What they had was a pagan culture, a resistant religious culture that said, we don't want anything to do with this Jesus. And they lived in a time of persecution. Here's what Jesus said, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You know it, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall sit in church and do nothing about what I said. Anybody's Bible say that? You know, if we just believe the Bible, it would sure change the way we live. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. These believers had never traveled more than 75 miles from their home, and yet they were told to go into the known world. They made a difference. And I think one of the problems with us, we don't mind lifting our hands in church and we don't mind getting excited about Jesus at camp and, and we don't mind coming to refresh and being fed and, and we don't mind going to a Wednesday night Bible study. But for some reason, when we walk off of this campus, which is where our mission field begins when you leave church property, we're either too cool are too cold to share with the world. We're either too cool or too cold to share with the world. We worry more about what people will think about us than we do about what God says we're supposed to do. 
prayer and evangelism or the overflow of the life of Christ. When you read 1 John, when you read the book of Acts, you see that this was a passion of the Apostle John. So I want you, before we look at 1 John chapter 1, I want you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, and I want you to see some things, and then I just want to ask some questions. I just want to ask some simple questions based on what these verses say to us. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And I want you to notice, underline or highlight, how many times there's some reference to speaking or teaching or proclaiming, because it's phenomenal how many times this shows up in just Acts chapter 4. As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up, up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. So here's the first question. Are we disturbing anyone because of the evidence of our faith? Are we disturbing anyone because of the evidence of our faith? In our family, among our friends, in our neighbors, our work associates, our schoolmates, are we disturbing anybody? Is, is our life a disruption to them because it's a reminder that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, remember Jesus said you're going to receive power, Acts 1.8, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for the benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known, he's making a proclamation, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, by which became the chief cornerstone, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, that's the exclusivity of the gospel. And there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Not church, not baptism, not sincerity, not better do, doing more good works than bad works. No other name that's going to get you into heaven. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated, untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Question, would anyone say that they can tell you have been with Jesus? Would anyone say that they can tell that you've been, I'm not talking about the t-shirt. I'm not talking about a cross around your neck. I'm not talking about jewelry. Just could anyone tell that you have been with Jesus? Verse 18, last part. They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot 
stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Question, would any of us be accused of standing boldly for our faith and being told to stop? Would any of us be accused of standing boldly for our faith and being told to stop? Verse 23, when they had been released, Peter and John from prison, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Here's an old question. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Verse 29. And now, Lord, now there's a bridge of prayer and evangelism. Now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to go to a Bible study class and not talk about it. No. They began to speak the word of God with boldness. Question, would any of us be accused of bold praying when faced with opposition? Would any of us be accused of bold praying when faced with opposition? Here's another question. It's not on screen. Have we gotten saved and gotten over it? Have we become domesticated disciples? You know, you can train a dog, some dogs, you can train to, you know, go outside to speak, to sit, to roll over, to play dead. I've got a dog that needs to play dead, but that's, uh, that's a whole nother story. Um, but have we become domesticated? Just, we're just, we're churchy. We're churchy. And because we're churchy, we're not real. And because we're not real, the world doesn't believe us. Because they don't see anything outside of the fact that we go to church as evidence that Christ has made any difference in our lives. So here's the last question. Have we settled for a comfortable, closed group church anity that looks little like the faith of the New Testament? Have we settled for church anity that looks little like the faith of the New Testament? So the first point is, and we're going to go through these quickly, we are, we are to speak of his life. God hadn't called us to win people to Sherwood. God has called us to talk to people about Jesus. Verse 1, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Remember, same person that wrote the Gospel of John, same person that's when Peter in Acts chapter 4, when they get arrested. This is the same guy. This is what he says. He says a similar thing in the prologue in the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. 
1 John 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen, and here goes a speaking word again, testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, here's a speaking word again, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So in verse 1, from the beginning, he's saying, the minute we met Jesus, we, we heard, we saw, we looked upon, in verse 2, his life was manifested. And he gave us eternal life. You see, if I don't have eternal life in Christ, I'm just a walking man dead in sin. And we'll have a second death, and that is life forever in hell, separated from God. But it was manifest to them. If you look at it, with the Father, what John is saying, Jesus was out of reach. He was untouchable. He was inaccessible. He was with the Father, but the Father sent him to us, and he was manifested to us. So we move from out of reach to made available. God came in flesh and walked among us. The God we could not see, the God we only knew about, the God of the Old Testament became the God who revealed himself in a son. And that son walked this earth as a sinless, all man, all God, died a death he did not have to die, rose from the grave and ascended to the Father. It was manifested to us. The invisible became visible. You see, lost people don't have a clue about Jesus. We, we have this idea in the post-Christian Bible Belt, which is no longer the Bible Belt. I wish we would quit calling it that. That's why I keep saying that. We're not in the Bible Belt. You can't drive the streets of any town in Georgia and say you're in the Bible Belt. You can say you're in the church belt, but if we were in the Bible Belt, our streets wouldn't be in the shape they're in. And I'm not talking about potholes. I'm talking about the crime and the sin and the depravity that we face in every street. See, lost people don't know about Jesus. The only way they're going to know about him is tell I guarantee you, if you talk to enough people in Albany, Georgia, you will find somebody that's never heard the name of Jesus as to who he really is. They've only heard his name taken in vain. They don't know who he is. There's not a Bible in their home. They don't pray over a meal. They don't have the benefits of what you and I may have, and, and they need to see it, but to see it, we need to say it. We don't need to just assume that everybody knows. We need to say it. The gospel train runs on two parallel tracks. Number one, the work of Christ on the cross. And number two, the proclamation of the cross. The work of Christ on the cross and the proclamation on the cross. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and God is in us to have the ministry of reconciliation. We are his messengers. Pardon 
has to be delivered. If a man is on death row and the governor issues a pardon, if the message doesn't get there in time, he's going to be executed. And every person you meet without Christ is headed toward an eternal execution, a death without Christ. And if we don't get the message there in time, then we have failed in our duty. Pardon has to be delivered, but proclamation is demanded. It's essential. It's not an option. If Jesus died, but no one had seen it, or if the early church, when they went to the upper room to pray, they did what the average Baptist church in Georgia and Methodist and Presbyterian and every other denomination, they did what the average church did. Hey, I'm so glad we're saved. Let's just not tell anybody about it. Let's just be real quiet. Why would God continue to give America the freedom of assembly and the freedom of religion if we don't use it? Every cult is using it while the church acts like a bunch of cowards because we're afraid somebody won't like us. I don't think that's going to go when we stand before Jesus one day. The lost world needs to hear it. We need to proclaim it. You see, if they had not seen it and heard it and touched him and walked with him, if they had just kept it to themselves, Christianity would have died within 50 years. And Christianity is always just one generation away from extinction. It is passed on by the delivering of the gospel to other people. It is a crime. It is a felony against the gospel to keep it to ourselves. Secondly, we must speak of a life-changing experience. Verse 1, we've heard, we've seen, we've looked at, we've touched. He didn't make this up. He's not just talking about facts and points. He's talking about something that's personal from the beginning. You see, the first two verbs are in perfect tense, which means something happened in the past from the beginning that still affects the present. And 2,000 years later, it's still affecting the present. What happened from the beginning is still active. We heard it. We saw it. It changed us. Look at this word, looked at. That's interesting. Look at this word, looked at. Look at it. It means to gaze or stare at something with intense scrutiny until you grasp the significance of it. To stare at something with intense scrutiny until you grasp the significance of it. You don't just kind of know about it. You know it. They looked at. Have we been saved so long that when we look at the cross, it doesn't move us anymore? Have we been saved so long that when we think about the nail-scarred hands and the pierced side and the thorns on the head and the brutal physical beating that Jesus took, but more than that, the sin that he took on upon himself. Have we been saved so long that we can just be flippant about that 
and think nobody else needs to hear it? Why do we get to hear it and nobody else gets to hear it? You're not that special. That God said, I'll let you hear it, but I don't want anybody else to hear it. We are to go into all the world, Jesus said, and to preach the gospel. We touch with our hands. Now that phrase, touch with our hands, is used of a blind man groping in the dark. It is a picture of a blind man who's groping and trying to handle something so he can figure out what he cannot see, but until he has touched it enough that he understands what he's dealing with. This is not a stand at a distance, sit as far away as possible, be as disengaged as I can possibly be, be here one week, gone four weeks kind of faith. This is an all-in faith. I have handled God. He, I was blind. I was in darkness. The Spirit convicted me. The scales dropped from my eyes, and I have seen what He is, and it has changed me. You see, we found him. Actually, he found us. And now that he has found us after seeing him, we have tested him and know him to be true and who he says he is and what we were looking for. And so that leads us to two times he says, we proclaim to you, we share with you. We are commissioned by his authority and in his power. Thirdly, we must speak while there is time. The persecuted church would give anything to have the freedom of what we're doing right now. Ninety-six Christians were killed this week in one area. Nothing on the 30-minute nightly news about it. But they gathered knowing that it would cost them their lives. You realize that when people in the Middle East and in some parts of Africa come to Christ, that they immediately know that they'll probably be killed for their faith. Isn't it interesting? I find it interesting. It may not be interesting to you, but isn't it interesting that people will gather around this world who know that they may be killed that day for simply showing up to worship Jesus, but we, A, can't get here on time, or B, only come when we feel like it. I wonder who's going to be closest to the throne when we get to heaven. I think the American church is going to be way, way back in the room. Because they're not afraid to risk their lives to worship God, and we can't seem to make it unless it's convenient. We are domesticated disciples. What we have seen... And heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. I love the story of the woman at the well. John chapter 4, Jesus meets this woman at the well. He starts in a general conversation, by the way. Jesus does not start that conversation with, now by the way, I'm Jesus, son of God. I came out of heaven, I took on the form of a man, and I showed up here because, you know, if you had been here, not long ago, you would have heard me say, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's me. And whosoever believes in him, that's me, would not perish but have everlasting life. He starts talking to her about her life. A general conversation. 
go call your husband. He already knew. But he didn't start with, you know, lady, that water's not going to quench your thirst in hell. I see people like that sometimes and I think you are doing more harm to the gospel than you can possibly imagine. Because what you're telling the lost world is God hates everybody, he's mad at everybody, and I'm mad at everybody, and I'm going to tell you I'm mad at everybody. Love Jesus. I just want to give them a bottle of Benadryl. (laughs) Chill out. No, he started with a general conversation about her life and about worship, and then moved himself. And guess what? She dropped her water bottle. That, that's significant because the well was outside of town. You had to have a water pot to survive. She dropped it and ran into town and said, come see the man that told me everything about myself. Interesting to note, the disciples were Baptist. They came back with Happy Meals, because remember, they went into town to get food. They came back with Happy Meals, and not one of them brought anybody with them. She came back, she brought the whole town. I mean, at that point, if I was Jesus, I would have dismissed the disciples and said, you guys are losers. And I would have said, lady, you're in charge of evangelism for the church. She brought everybody. It was the greatest evangelistic harvest of the entire earthly ministry of Jesus. We must speak because it brings joy to the heart of God. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Here's the key. There's nothing more joyful than seeing somebody come to faith in Christ. I mean, we can have great worship experiences. We can sing great songs. About one out of every 35 messages, I preach a pretty good message. I mean, we can do all of that and have church and sit in Bible study and enjoy fellowship with one another and decide where we're going to go eat. But nothing brings joy to God and to true believers like seeing somebody come to faith. The angels rejoice. The angels rejoice when one gets saved. And we just kind of go, well, that's just precious. That is so sweet. I'm so glad that little girl and that little boy got saved. Now, I'm not going to do anything about anybody else, but I'm just glad. That's not joy. That's not joy. There's no joy like seeing somebody come to faith in Christ. And I can tell you, you meet somebody who's a church member. I didn't say they were a Christian. You meet somebody who's a church member who's always whining and complaining and talking about themselves. I can tell you this. They're not talking to anybody about Jesus. Because their life is built around complaining. Their life is built around gossip. Their life is built around trying to make other people look bad, not trying to bring people to Jesus. The joy of the believer cannot be fulfilled. True joy cannot be fulfilled 
until we see somebody come to Christ. I, I remember uh, Ron Dunn was asked to preach in an evangelism conference on the subject, how to learn to love the lost. How to learn to love the lost. So Ron got up and said, this is my assigned topic. How to learn to love the lost. I have no text. Because there is no text that tells me chapter and verse to love the lost. It tells me to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love my neighbors myself. But there is no chapter and verse that tells me to love the lost. There is a chapter and verse that tells me to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said, I, there's nothing in the Bible that tells me to love the lost. He said, well, the Bible tells us to love the lost in general, but not in a specific statement. It tells us that we have a great commission to go and tell the world that Jesus loves them. Amen. Now think about it in another way. Last chapter in the Gospel of John, Jesus meets Simon Peter on a beach. And he says to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Three times, feed my sheep. He never tells Simon to love sheep. Never says love sheep. He just says feed them. Minister to them. Give life. Show them my love. Show them who I am. Tell them who I am. Model for them. And when you read Simon Peter's letters, the Gospel of Mark, given to, to Mark, and then First and Second Peter, when you read those, you realize that what Peter was doing was feeding sheep. He was telling people about Jesus. What we have seen and heard. No, we have not physically seen Jesus. But we have seen the results of Jesus in our lives. What well, we have heard, we've all heard more sermons than we're living up to. What well, we have seen and heard, what we have touched, we've been, all of us at some point in our lives, have been so in the presence of God that it felt like in that moment we could reach out and touch him. What was distant from us with the Father has now been manifested to us. We have seen and heard, and our joy is complete when what we have seen and heard becomes a part of our verbal DNA. And we tell people that Jesus changed our lives. And that's just not at church. That's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and after you wake up from your nap on Sunday afternoon. Amen. It's in every place and every way with everybody and anybody at any time that God gives me the opportunity to have a conversation with them. Because can I tell you, most lost people are not going to bring it up to you. They're not going to bring it up to you. Uh, we were in the airport, and uh, I was having 
uh, getting ready to get on a plane. I was having a hot flash. I mean, uh, so I'm, I'm just, I'm fanning, you know, like I'm standing over this event. You want to know why I keep moving these sides? There's cold air blowing up here. This is the preacher. This is the anointing zone right here. This is where you get the anointing. And, and I'm fanning, and, th and this lady looks over at me. She's 76 years old. She's flying to a funeral here in Atlanta. And uh, she says, you have a hot flash? <laughs> and, and I said, yes. Yeah. She said, oh, I have those two. <laughs> now, she never asked me why I was having a hot flash. She said, you know, I'm on treatments to, to keep the cancer away. And she didn't, she didn't ask me any of that. But she just started talking. She said, oh, I have those two. And then she starts testifying. Oh, my soul. Some of us would have run for cover. I mean, these people are all in a city, and I can't look around and see anybody that looks like they have anything to do with Jesus except me and Terry and this lady because I'm standing up. She's sitting down here, and I'm standing up, and I'm looking at her, and she's going, oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Woo, glory to God. Praise God. God, hello, you got to testify about the Lord. You got to talk about, and I mean, this guy's working on his computer, sitting on a row behind, and he's going. <laughs> and there are people sitting three rows away that are kind of getting up on, looking, what is wrong with that woman? Is she having a spell? I mean, is, is something wrong with her? Bless her heart. She's just old and doesn't know any better. Hey. I hope when I'm 76, I can sit in an airport and just shout hallelujah to God. But I don't want to wait till I'm 76. Because you and I both have sat in too many bus stops and too many airports and too many classrooms and too many offices and at too many events. And when somebody started talking about Jesus, we started kind of moving down a little further away because we didn't want anybody to think we were crazy like them. But Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. You know, that's in the Bible. And it's not convenient. But it is truth. So I want you to stand with me with heads bowed. And nobody looking around. Paul says in the book of Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now let's just be honest. It's just us right now. We'll go into a world later on today, but it's just us right now. Let's just be honest. How many of us this week have been ashamed of the gospel? We've had an opportunity to say a word for Jesus, and we've been ashamed of the gospel. Remember, Jesus started with a woman at the well at a general conversation. Just a general conversation, but it turned into a gospel conversation. You never know how, how are you doing today? Everything going okay in your life? Anything I can pray 
with you about, you never know how that's going to turn into another conversation. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I want to invite you to come to him. You've heard enough about Jesus. If you've never heard anything else, you've heard enough about Jesus in this message to know that you need him. We're going to sing one verse. We're not going to sing a long time. We're going to sing one verse, and you can even step out right now and say, I need to give my heart and my life to Jesus Christ today. I don't want to be ashamed of him. Everybody Jesus called, he called publicly. He called them out. He didn't let them hide in the crowd. When the woman touched him, he said, who touched me? And he drew her out. When the blind man was on the side of the road and he said, Jesus, have mercy on me, he called him out. Jesus calls us out to send us out. So who needs to come today to, to be saved? We're going to sing just a verse, but who today needs to ask God, just ask God, Lord, forgive me for wasted days, wasted years, wasted opportunities when I had a chance and I let the devil fill me with fear or I let the fear of man take control of my life. And I want to check my heart today about evangelism.